0: And discover why Noble Gold Investments is the only choice for smart, secure gold investments. Or call them at 877-646-5347. Again, that's 877-646-5347. Make sure to go to TimCast.com, click join us and become a member to support this podcast and all the work we do and you'll get access to exclusive uncensored segments from Timcast IRL and way more. Now, let's jump into the first story. Andy No has been embroiled in a civil suit against alleged members of Antifa. The verdict has come in. A Portland jury has found Antifa militants not liable in Andy Noe attack. Defense attorney had declared, I am Antifa. So I think I can break this down, how it is that Andy No lost. You see, one of these guys actually admitted to physically attacking Andy Noe in a gym. I, I kid you not. Throwing water on him and then actually striking him. Not liable. Now, the specific incident in which Andy Noe is suing is he was chased into a hotel. He was attacked and beaten. These individuals deny having attacked him, despite there being some evidence of the fact that they were informing each other it was Andy Noe. They were party to the mob. I think it's really funny. On January 6th, if you show up an hour after everything happens, people are bumbling about, you have no idea what's going on, you will go to prison. They'll say it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You are part of a mob. If you are a leftist, if you are a leftist on January 20th, 2017, and you are part of a mob that sets fire to vehicles, fires in the streets, smashes windows, not only will you be acquitted because you're, you're just some random person who happened to be near others. There's no mob. The city actually paid them out. Escalation is inevitable. The reason, in my view, that the jurors ruled against, effectively against Andino, is that the defense attorney declared that they were anti-fascist. They were going to get a shirt that said they were anti They said they were anti-fascist. Told the jurors, the defense attorney told the jurors that she will remember each one of their faces. The jurors had already expressed to the court that they feared being doxed and targeted. So let's break this down. You're a juror. You're in court. There's a man saying these far left terrorists mercilessly beat me in the street on more than one occasion. Help. Then they turn to you, the militant extremist, and says, we're going to remember exactly who you are. And the jurors are like, leave me out of this because they're spineless, pathetic cowards. Well, the big news in the development after this verdict is that a reporter for the postmonial, Katie Daviscourt, after, uh, tweeted, after I left the courthouse where I was reporting on Andy No's trial against Antifa, I found that my car was broken into by my hotel. The windows were busted out, items were stolen, and personal identification documents were taken. I'm obviously upset. Now, if you were to ask me, and I think any reasonable person who uh, perpetrated this, it would be associates of these far left extremists and other terrorists. These people are abject evil. I don't even think that these people think they're good people. I think they get off on this. I think they are abject. I think they are demonic in the figurative sense, or if you're a religious person, perhaps the literal sense. But uh, but, uh, I'll explain in in fine detail. I know many of these people. 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I'm on the ground covering events at Occupy protests across this country surrounded by these people. What did they tell me? Well, at the time during Occupy Wall Street, I was physically attacked several times. I was threatened by many of these people, but for the most part, the larger group tolerated my presence, praised me on many occasions, offered me security in some circumstances. Why? Because it was a net positive to the far left mission. If I'm filming a protest and the protesters are just screaming and chanting and the cops act a fool, I get that on camera. It's good for them. But there were instances where I said, I don't care who you are. I'm just filming what's happening. And when the far left extremists engage in an act of vandalism, they got mad at me for it. For this, I was physically attacked on numerous occasions. But I have spoken to these people. At the time, some of these more extreme elements told me outright it was pure nihilistic rage and it was funny. The reason why they vandalized, the reason why they attacked, the reason why they wanted to burn down the system was not for any noble cause. It was because it was fun and they're bored. I'm not exaggerating. One individual actually wrote for The New York Times saying that They believed nothing in this life mattered. There's no discernible cause or reaction. It's just a seeming pool of chaos by which we were all born into. And for that reason, isn't it fun just to shake it up and watch it burn? And I responded, I said, actually, I think the opposite. I was like, if there is no meaning, then you create it. And if we feel good and we feel bad, we choose to feel good. So if there is no rhyme or reason, then I create that reason. And that reason is creation. That reason is progress, happiness, and joy, not chaos, pain, and suffering. They outright told me they enjoyed it. Another individual who I had known from the hacker community who was deeply involved with the far left said that when they talk of free speech, when they talk of the right to film and the first amendment and my defense of it, they were just using me. That's right. This is the attitude these people have. They are abject evil. They're just evil people. I am not saying it to be mean. I am not saying it out of emotional, uh, like an emotional attack against them. I genuinely believe that within the hearts of these individuals, they seek pain. They seek destruction. They seek suffering because it gives them pleasure. Goodness in people I would define as those who derive pleasure from helping others. I grew up on superhero movies, self-sacrifice, right? the willingness to give everything you have to protect other people, shoving the kid out of the way of the car and then getting hit. Spider-Man trying to save a busload of kids. Superman trying to save lives, fight the villains and never harming the villains. Batman, too. These are the stories I grew up on. What are the stories we have now? These far left extremists go into black neighborhoods, set them on fire and then claim it's good for them. They're evil. Let's read a little bit of this news and get an understanding a bit of what's happening. And then I want to show you, I want to talk to you about what's happening in these cities and where I believe I believe escalation is inevitable. I'll, I'll break it down for you. I, I mentioned this already, that I, I met someone recently, a, Gen, a J6-er. They, uh, a woman and her husband showed up. They, they were just in D.C., had no idea what was going on, showed up just shy of three o'clock, well after the breach of the Capitol. Doors were open, the grounds, there's no barricades, there's no signs. And all they were just walking around. They walked up. They saw people walking around, had no idea what just happened. Walked into the building, looked around confused. Police waved. And they said, oh, they left. They're now facing a year and a half in prison, a year or so in prison. Just for that. And when they said we that when they when they went to court and apologized, said we had no idea. we were just walking around. We had we, we weren't here in support of anything. We just like we just were there and we didn't matter. They said you were part of a mob. Doesn't matter what you think. Doesn't matter your intentions. Intentions do matter, by the way. And typically in uh, misdemeanor trespass charges, you have to be warned. But this is the nature of where we are at. If you're a far left extremist with hate in your heart, like these people right here, like these abject evil individuals who are trying to cause as much pain and suffering to the poor and working class. If you are evil, the machine protects you. Why? They like it because they have allies who enjoy suffering. It is demonic. In my view. I don't believe in true demons, I believe in God. I don't, I, don't, I don't know about demons, but I believe these are the uh, embodiment of the idea of demonic. These are people who revel in your suffering for no other reason than that it just makes them feel good. That's it. You've, you've met people like this. There are serial killers out there. They're for, for no reason they harm others. Well, there are varying degrees of good and evil. Serial killers and child predators may be the utmost epitome of evil. And then you have these individuals who are evil, but they're not going around murdering. They're just destroying people's lives in other ways, and they seek pleasure from it. Now, you're not going to convince me otherwise. You're not going to convince me that a dude that physically attacked Andy No at the gym is doing anything other than satisfying his emotional desire to cause suffering. Because Andy No at the gym isn't doing anything. And they lie about Andy No. They lie. We are seeing businesses get destroyed, small businesses. We saw in New York a, a, ven, a, a snack vendor kiosk ransacked by a random group of people at the Kai Sanat uh, team takeover. Hassan Piker criticizes the media for sympathizing this guy because I genuinely believe they like being part of a large group of people that can express power. They derive pleasure from feeling powerful, not from helping. I think that's evil. I think of yin-yang. The two sides, the light and the dark. Within the darkness, there is a light. Within the light, there is the dark. And these are individuals who purport to be good, but revel in your suffering. And that is why I say evil. Because they are certainly the antithesis of what we seek to protect, which is goodness, creation, protecting others' progress, civil rights. They don't believe in these things. You know, the, the singer Neo was heavily criticized because he was saying that kids should be able to make these decisions. He made a really, really great point. One, his publicist put out a message everyone criticized him for. I did. I apologize. He then came out and said, no, 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 straight from my mouth. I will never stand for this stuff. He made a good point. Why should I respect your opinion when you don't respect anyone else's? Wow. That's a really, really good point. Let's let's crank it up a notch. Why should I use your preferred pronoun when you don't give anyone else respect? I won't. That's why there are individuals I've had who are trans on Tim Castirol. I do use their pronouns because they've been respectful to me. But for these individuals who would burn down businesses, physically attack Andy No in the streets for no reason. Why would I respect anything about them? Why would I grant them any benefit in any way? Did you know fast growing trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S.? So this is this, this is it. I mean, the, the gist of the story, I think, is very, very clear. The defense attorney saying that she was going to make herself an I am Antifa shirt, which she would wear after the trial, admitting that the, that the people in a black clad who are attacking people are terrorists and then told the jury she was going to remember all of their faces. That to me is, is truly incredible. And then you see a journalist getting their vehicle ransacked. Truly incredible. Here's where we're at, my friends. I think uh, I I think escalation is inevitable. Ian Miles Strong tweeted the story; it's a couple months old, but it bears uh, uh, repeating, especially in this context. Nordstrom shuts down both stores in San Francisco as Target locks entire product range behind security glass, and Whole Foods store is shuttered. It's not Portland, it's San Francisco, but it's it's all the same. Cities are in collapse, no question. I remember I remember that video out of New York. A guy was walking with his four year old daughter and a car pulls up and just shoots him in front of his kid. They'll tell you you can't defend yourself, but they'll do nothing. About these, these individuals who are committing ma- these crimes, it is very much like the gulag archipelago. Uh, Solzhenitsyn, I'm pronouncing his name wrong. Solzhenitsyn, I don't know, I can't pronounce that name. <laughs> I watched a video and it was like everyone's pronouncing his name wrong. And I'm like, I probably still am. But there's a great passage in that book, which um, full disclosure I have not read. I've only uh, uh, read portions of and snippets, where he talks about um, a man who is being threatened with a knife, and so he's got a knife to his neck, and then he fights the guy and then stabs the criminal, and the criminal dies. This guy was like a military officer who uh, who was defending himself, and he gets arrested and charged, and he's told that you ha- you didn't have to kill the guy, and he was like he was putting a knife to me. What should I do? And he's like run, flee. That's right. The criminals are protected by the system and the law abiding are subjugated. I mentioned this last night. The reason the founding fathers were adamant on the Bill of Rights with the right to a speedy trial, innocent until proven guilty, you've got the fourth, fifth and sixth amendments all affecting you know our, our um, legal rights. And the reason why they're so important, if people believe that, no, that if no matter what they do, The state will seek to crush them. They have no incentive to work within the state. If people believe that no matter what they do, the state will protect them. They have every reason to be on the good side of the state. That is to say, if you're a hardworking guy and uh, the state is going around and just imprisoning and fining people for any and no reason, then you're going to say, for what reason do I have to work within the confines of their rules? They're going to come after me no matter what I do. So you don't the system is meaningless but if you believe that you are innocent until proven guilty and even criminals get to go free sometimes you know that if you're a good person you will prevail the innocence will protect you where we are now every it's the inversion if you're a criminal you'll you'll be they'll let you go if you're a good citizen defending yourself they will lock you up so no one has any reason to believe that the system is is worth protecting or being a part of Take a look at these businesses. San Francisco, they've got that Westfield Mall, which is basically shutting down. They're they're selling off their, 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 uh, um, forfeiting their their property, basically. You've got two hotels doing the same thing. Nordstrom shutting down. Target is locking its entire product range. They got photos of this. All their products are going behind glass. Look at this. They've locked everything. You've got Walgreens in Chicago that no longer offers products at all. You go in, walk up to a tablet, type in what you want. After you pay for it, someone will come out and bring it to you because the system is broken. Democrats revel in it. And you know what? That's that's exactly it. I don't necessarily blame them. I get it. The system is broken. It doesn't serve anybody. It's been broken for some time. So they say, you know, what? screw it. Let's just rip out and gut whatever we can from it. It's like coming across a busted up building and thinking, hey, nobody cares. So who's going to stop me if I pull the copper out of the walls and go sell it? That's what they're doing. I've I've described it as Democrats basically stealing the fine china and silverware from the Titanic, knowing that it's sinking and rushing to the lifeboats before anyone can find out. But maybe another way to describe it is that Democrats are ripping the copper wiring out of the walls to sell. And we're all sitting there being like, dude, you're screwing it up further. And they're like, bro, the building's busted up and you know it. So they're just the ones willing to exploit and destroy it. Well, I still see goodness. I still see an opportunity to repair this building. But the problem is you've got people who don't care anymore. And they've gutted it, and they're stealing the fixtures off the walls. Well, how are we supposed to fix it if y'all are breaking it? I think about how police operate in big cities. What do they do? I mean, many of you may not have grown up in big cities, but those of you who do, you know exactly what it's like. You jaywalk. The cop will give you a ticket. Ah, You're not supposed to jaywalk, but they never give anybody tickets for jaywalking, but you, now you got to pay. Okay, fine. You say, well, hey, you knew jaywalking was wrong, but you did it anyway. Okay. You have cops giving people false tickets. This happens all the time. People get pulled over and the cop will say, you ran a stop sign. You blew a red light. They claim they don't have quotas, but you know they have quotas. I have a friend in suburban Maryland who got a ticket for blowing a stop sign when they didn't blow a stop sign. And I believe my friend didn't blow a stop sign. And they were pissed off and they said, F the police. That's it. I'm done. Well, when you got when you got cops in the suburbs that have to fulfill a quota and give tickets. And they'll just say it's my word against yours. And you're never don't know, don't care. The mechanization of this system results in its collapse. Now you're like, I'll get a ticket even if I don't blow the stop sign. What's the point? I know people who have gotten tickets for driving through yellow lights because the cop said, I forgot what the, what the reasoning is like you, you, you ran the light and they were like, but it was and ah, no, I saw it as red. You ran it. You're supposed to slow down and stop. That was reckless, reckless acceleration. I know people who have gotten tickets for slamming their brakes on a yellow light. I'm not exactly Chicago, man. And they said that was reckless. An abrupt stop could have caused an accident. You should have kept going. It's just no matter what you do. Me personally, my dad used to live in uh, downtown Chicago, just south of the loop. We had parking permits to park there because they're like, look, we don't want anyone parking here if you don't live here. So uh, visiting my dad, I have a parking permit I put right in the window. I visit my dad, come back to my car. Everything seems to be fine. Guess what happens? A couple months later, I get two tickets in the mail labeled final determination. What? Final determination. That's right. They said because I didn't respond to the tickets I received, that I had been found default guilty and I owed 150 bucks per ticket. Yo, I made $11 an hour. I can't pay 300 bucks. So I called and said, I'd like to dispute this. So you can't. It's final determination you waived your rights to a, to a trial, to a hearing, because you never responded to the tickets in the first place. I never got tickets. That's right. The cops would write a ticket, crumple up and throw it in the garbage, but put it in their system. That way it would default because these cops are evil. The system broke a long time ago. And there are those of us that seek to repair the damage. There are those of us who would still defend these individual cops because there's a big difference between a cop who writes you a bunk ticket and a cop who runs blaze you know, full speed into a into a, a very serious criminal situation, a shooting or otherwise. There were cops in Chicago who had to show up to shootings. How horrifying. And I'm supposed to defend the institution because of these cops knowing how bad the day to day operations of these officers are. There's no denying it, man. This is why libertarians are outraged. It's why the left was able to exploit this and destroy the institution of policing. And the police deserve it. I got no sympathy. I got sympathy for good cops who try really hard. But in these cities that are run by Democrats, the cops, they don't service you. I I remember when I'm a kid, some guy was trying to break the window at at my family business. My mom calls 911. The police are literally one block away and they don't show up. They're right there. Not a single cop cared. They say, I don't want to deal with this. And that's the problem of the mechanization of the system. When it is police officers, who care about their community, who share culture and care about their neighbors. They rush to defend you because they're good people, not because they're cops. But in these big cities where it's faceless and nobody cares about each other, they're not going to show up even a block away because that's too dangerous. Luke Rutkowski of We Are changed, got a good story about this. A madman with a knife began stabbing people on the train. Cops stood by and watched. And it was a good Samaritan who was stabbed multiple times trying to stop this guy, finally stopped him. Then the police came over and the courts ruled the police have no responsibility to protect the public. So what's going to happen? Exploitation. The system broke a long time ago. What you're seeing with Antifa and these far left criminals are the manifestation of of the of the of the decay in the system that already existed. We may try to preserve and protect that system to fix it and repair it. But, yo, the ship is sinking. And like the cartoon character putting a finger and a toe in every single hole to stop the flood and stop the sinking, it ain't working. It's not working, and it's just getting worse. I don't have the solutions. I don't know what you do. I can certainly tell you that Democrats' intervention is only making things worse. Protecting the far-left extremists is only making things worse. But this is why I've been on the fence for the most part. I get it, man. I will I will defend cops. These, these cops in the George Floyd case shouldn't be in jail. But then you look at what happens with the Armand Arbery. These cops come and arrest these guys. Let me tell you something, my friends. If you were out. And you saw a guy on a trench raping a woman. The police will arrest you in two seconds if you stop him. But they won't arrest the guy. They'll say, oh, that's what the Gulag Archipelago was about. The criminals, well, they're poor criminals. They don't know better. They're victims of of circumstance. You, you knew better. So if you are watching a crime take place, let's say you work at a Seven Eleven, and you're an immigrant and a man comes in and robs you, threatens you with death, so you defend yourselves. The police in Stockton, California are now investigating those men. The system cannot sustain itself. Now I'll tell you why. Because the police know That you as a law abiding citizen will stand there, put your hands behind your back and take the beating. And then other criminals will just escalate the crime. This is it. When the police get two phone calls, one is shooting in progress. The other is a guy is complaining on a street corner about justice. They're going to be like, dude, I'm not going anywhere near that shooting. The cops know that if they pull you over and accuse you of a crime, it's a walk through the park. They can pull you over and say they smell pot, accuse you of whatever they want. There are how many stories of people being accused of DUI when they weren't drunk or under the influence? Get arrested anyway. how many stories? I have so many stories of my friends who were arrested on driving on a suspended license because they were 19 and they didn't know that if they paid their speeding ticket, a friend of mine, I've told you the story about me, obviously I'm slighted by it, but I had a friend I was driving with get pulled over and the cop said, your license is suspended. And I was like, what's going on? And she was like, I have no idea. Yep. Moving violations, headlight out, blowing uh, and blowing a stop sign, I think. And her license got suspended and they don't tell you. So the cop said, you're under arrest. And then they asked me, do you want to drive the car and go to the station and pick them up? I'm like, this is crazy, dude. Like we're 19 just driving home from work. My friend gives me a ride. You're arresting her. These cops are evil, man. When you look to these Democrat cities, I tell you, look, I get it. There are good cops in some small towns. There are a lot of bad cops that are callous and don't care. And they justify it in their minds. They say, look, man. I don't I don't make the rules, I just enforce them. F you. Look at what happened to Andy No. Is there any justice for him when he's mercilessly beaten in the street? None. How about this? New York City. Far-left extremists surround a speaking event on, I believe this was the Upper West Side. The people who are there are being threatened, having bottles thrown at them. Eventually, some of these individuals, Proud Boys, seeing these Antifa throw things at them, charge forward and get into a fight. Mutual combat, some would call it. The far left extremists fight with the Proud Boys. The police are called. The Proud Boys, being dumb as a box of rocks and not understanding the system, go to the police and say, thank you, officer. Let me tell you exactly what happened. The far left extremists run full speed away because they get it. They know the system doesn't exist anymore. What happens? The police say, thank you for speaking to us. You are now all under arrest and going to prison for four years. They're probably out by now, actually. I should look, that, look into that. Antifa, what do the cops publicly say? We don't know who they are or where they went, so they're free to go. That's it. Stop pretending like the system works. It doesn't. What we're seeing now is a city's completely collapse. So Vivek Ramaswamy is right when he talks about the revolutionary spirit of 1776. The answer is not to protect and reform a broken system. The left realizes you can't. And they seek to implement their communist revolution. What needs to be done is people on the right, post liberals, libertarians need to say, let's not try to preserve, but also bring about some kind of revolution. But for American ideals to restore the ideals of the Constitution, freedom, liberty, what this country stands for, to in effect weed out the corruption in the system. And preserve what the founding fathers sought to create. Maybe we can. We'll see how things roll out. I think it's going to take a Donald Trump. I think it's going to take uh, someone who's going to go into office and fire tons of people and actually have the law be enforced. I think you're going to, see, you're, you're going to need to see hard reforms of these police departments. I think we're going to, need to see judges refuse to tolerate the individuals who get charged with petty nonsense. Now, I can see that happening with the left when they say no cash bail. The problem is they're just protecting the shoplifters who are destroying everything. What we need is when it's some kid who gets pulled over, you don't destroy their life over a moving violation. And when it's someone who's going into a grocery store and filling up garbage bags, you lock those people up. I'll leave it there. Next segment is coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out and I'll see you all then. So let me get this straight. Joe Biden dines with oligarchs who then pay Hunter Biden. They buy him a fancy new car. Well, they sent him the exact amount he needed to buy a fancy new car. And with all this information, where are we currently at with, say, I don't know, impeachment of Joe Biden? Well, where we're currently at is Kevin McCarthy says, you, you better give me those bank statements, Biden family. You mean to tell me that as, as far as we've gotten with exposing a lot of this, the Republicans are only at the stage of, please, sir, would you provide us with some evidence? It sounds like they're actually helping the Bidens. I got to be completely honest, because here's what we see. The Bidens are getting away with it, which shows that uh, no matter what you expose, they can do it more, basically giving them the green light to keep doing it because nothing's going to happen to them. And then you ask for bank statements, which basically alerts them to the evidence you're seeking, giving them time to prepare an adequate defense. Masterfully done, Republican Party. Well, here's the news. Let's break down Exactly what it is that's going on. Joe dined with oligarchs who paid Hunter. New bank records detail part of the $20 million in foreign cash to Biden family, including $142,000 from Kazakh oligarch to president's son used to buy Porsche after DC dinner. And these people, they get away with everything, don't they? I mean, take a look at this story. White House cocaine may have belonged to someone in Biden family orbit. We all knew that. We knew it. Because how do you bypass White House security with drugs? You have to be someone above that security level, like, say, a family member, say, somebody who's known for doing drugs. Maybe Hunter, maybe not. Who knows? But here's the latest report that was released by the Oversight Committee. Hunter Biden used $142,000 wired from a Kazakh oligarch to his shell company to buy a Porsche before setting up a dinner with his father, Joe, new bank records show. On Wednesday, House Oversight Republicans released details of part of the $20 million in dollars in payments they claim the Biden family and their partners received from foreign actors in places like Russia, Ukraine and Kazakhstan during Joe's time as vice president. They suggest Hunter and his business partner, Archer, used a shell company to hide millions in payments from overseas companies and oligarchs, though none of the newly released records directly link payments to Joe Biden. Come on. Joe's not that stupid, but stupid enough. So Hunter Biden gets wired six figures, buys a fancy car, and then all of a sudden Papa Joe's coming to dinner. Are we supposed to assume that these are just coincidences? You'd have to be dumb as a box of rocks. This is called probable cause, a preponderance of evidence. And now perhaps we need to get some people to testify under oath. Perhaps you get Hunter Biden in. I wonder why it is they don't do any of this. Miranda Devine has the tweet over 20 million dollars in payments from foreign sources to the Biden family and associates from Russia, Kazakhstan and Ukraine during Joe Biden's vice presidency. James Comer's House Oversight Committee followed the money. And so we have the letter, my friends. Let's read it. Memorandum, Congress of the United States House of Representatives. Committee staff is releasing a third bank records memorandum to apprise majority members of the ongoing investigation of the Biden family's influence peddling schemes. On March 16, 2023, staff issued the first memorandum, first bank records memorandum, highlighting the Biden family's use of the Robinson Walker LLC account to receive money from a certain Chinese entity. On May 10, 2023, staff issued a second memorandum, which focused on the Biden's business dealings in Romania, And additional information regarding their partnership with Chinese entities closely tied to the Communist Party, the Chinese Communist Party. This third bank records memorandum serves to inform members of the Biden family's relationship with certain foreign entities and individuals in Russia, Ukraine and Kazakhstan. The committee has subpoenaed six different banks and received thousands of records in response. The committee's subpoenas were tailored to specific individuals and companies that engaged in business activities with Biden family members and their business associates. The committee has not yet subpoenaed bank records of members of the Biden family. Committee staff will continue to release memoranda as new information is uncovered. Is anyone surprised by this? This uh, this 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 breaking news? Now, of course, as I mentioned before, we had Rick Santorum on the show who said you can't impeach Joe Biden for what he did as vice president. Okay, fair point. How about for what he's doing as president? sending how much money to Ukraine? Could it be that uh, they paid him off for such favors in the future? It's all connected. You can't be vice president and then president, engage in these illicit business dealings. And then when you're president, keep advocating for sending billions of dollars to the people who are paying you and be like it was a totally different administration. Not you. But I'll tell you what. All right. All right. Fair point. Rick Santorum. How about this? How about we don't impeach Joe Biden over this stuff? How about we criminally charge him? Okay. yeah, I know it's a pipe dream. Let's be real. We've got Andy Ngo losing his civil trial. He can't even get an honest, fair trial, criminal trial against these people, one of whom admitted on the stand that he attacked him. We can't get justice for a woman who has her bike stolen in broad daylight. How are we supposed to See criminal charges against someone so dirty and evil, with power, political power, as the Biden family. You know, I look at this country, and I have to blame—I—it's I, people. Who? Are, what are we supposed to say? How many people do you know absolve themselves of their responsibility to their country? It's funny. JFK says, "Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country." And it was interesting growing up because I was like, what do I have to do for my country? What are you talking about? I don't owe them nothing, right? And boy, have my views changed. And the issue is growing up and being told to be an individual. It's a good thing, right? Individual liberties and rights are a core element of this nation. But you can't sacrifice community and a moral framework. And that's what's been lost. So now this is what you get. The untouchable Biden's. They can seemingly do whatever they want and nothing will be done about it. We know exactly what they're doing, why they're doing it. And they just keep doing it. And then what? Now they're going after Donald Trump. New indictments. They're going after Giuliani, perhaps, and the other lawyers, even a State Department lawyer. Last night, I asked the question. There have been many countries throughout history who have gone through revolution, civil war, serious turmoil, conflict. And in many of these stories, there are people who say, I escaped. Nazi Germany, the most obvious example everyone uses. There were Jews who fled well before the Nazis came to power. Many of them came to America, moved to other places. And when asked, how did you know to escape? They said, we could see all the signs. It was happening all around us. And they got out. So the question I asked last night was, is the U.S. facing such a prospect? When is the moment you realize it is no longer safe to be here and you flee? Well, of course, you get the response from some people who say, abandon your country. No, you got to stay and defend it. Well, of course. And at a certain point, you can't, right? So this is the question. The question is not when do you abandon the fight? The point is when when do you recognize the ship has already sunk? I'm not saying that's now. Certainly, there are elements of it happening right now. I think if this grand jury in D.C. files indictments against Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, Jeffrey Clark, Sidney Powell, and many others, I believe that if the charges are brought against Trump's so-called co-conspirators, also known as his lawyers, you're at that point. You're at that point where I would say this, the weak-willed, the, the those who are not prepared for a serious degree of conflict, you need to go. It's crazy to say, isn't it? I'm not saying I will. I'm not saying you should. I'm saying there are certain people, if you're not prepared for a fight, if you can't stand the heat, you get out of the kitchen. And there were people in Nazi Germany, in Weimar Germany, who saw the rise of the Nazis coming. The Nazis began to rise to power. They left. They said, I'm getting out of here before it's too late. And what happened? Crystal knocked. Ultimately, the Holocaust. Nazi Germany is a really obvious example because it was so atrocious, but you also have the Holodomor, which happened first. You have the the Soviets and what they did, locking up uh, people in the gulag. You have what happened to Poland. When the Nazis and the Soviets invaded Poland, they killed the intelligentsia. Any academics, researchers, scientists, all killed because they were a threat. So I'll tell you where we're at. If they start going after Lawyers, the game, the game's changed. Look, it's already crazy. We can see it plain as day that the Bidens are going after that Joe Biden's administration is going after his chief political rival in this way. That Joe Biden himself, according to the New York Times, told Merrick Garland to go after Trump. We can see that degree of instability and chaos in the targeting of the front runner. It's unprecedented. But what happens when they then say anyone? who tries to defend or advise this man goes down too. grains of sand in a heap, my friend. How does a country become so bad? It's not overnight. Sud- uh, what is it? Gradually, then suddenly, as the saying goes, if they go after Trump's lawyers. How long until they go after advocates, activists, personalities? We had Tom Fitton from Judicial Watch on number one government watchdog. How long until they go after him? They already had the FBI go to his house forcing him to testify before a grand jury. How long before they say you had phone calls and meetings and conspired to? How long until they come to media personalities and say you've advocated for criminal activity? Oh, that's right. How many of your favorite personalities said that Donald Trump had a legal argument and should pursue it? How many personalities agreed with Trump and advocated? For his actions, how many people supported his rally at the Capitol? Not the January 6th quote unquote insurrection, but the rally he had. They will conflate the two as they've already done. They'll say, These people are going online and inciting crimes. We know that what Donald Trump did was criminal. These people knew it too. And that's the next step. When Joe Biden weaponizes government to go after those who speak up against him. Because if this grand jury is going after Giuliani, is going after Sidney Powell, that's exactly what they're doing. Anyone who opposes them. So at what point do you say the ship is sinking? An abandoned ship. The captain of a ship, a frigate in the colonial era, engaging in conflict with a European, let's do two European powers. I wouldn't call the captain a coward for ordering men to abandon ship. As the saying goes, the captain goes down with the ship. Perhaps that's true bravery. But it's not cowardice when the captain yells, abandon ship. The ship's going down. You want your men to survive, to live, to fight another day. Sometimes strategic re- retreat is important. I am not advocating for abandoning the United States. I'm simply arguing you have to make sure you're being strategic about it and you don't, get, don't let pride get in the way of what you need to do to win. There are many people who are probably better off not being in this country, if they're going to be politically persecuted, and they can continue their work elsewhere. Edward Snowden fled. He's probably better off speaking and talking about the crimes of the United States somewhere where he's not going to be tortured and locked up. But I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I'm certainly not going to advocate for anybody to abandon this country. But I will tell you right now, with what the what the Bidens have done, what they know that what we we know they are doing, cocaine in the White House, no justice. But you walked into a building, you're under arrest and they're going to lock you up. What we're looking at right now is there were people on January 6th who had no idea what was going on. Now, some people did. Of course, they did and They were violent. And those are bad people. Lock them up. And there are people who did not know what was happening on the other side of the building who were walking around. There was a permitted rally and the federal government is trying to lock up dissenters who did nothing. Quite literally did nothing. Just standing there. So I don't know. They're going to do everything in their power to steal more power. And the more power they get, the more power they gain. And this is currently what we're looking at. The Oversight Committee tweets. Today, we're releasing the bank records memo detailing how the Bidens and the associates received millions. We've identified $20 million in payments from foreign sources to the Bidens and their associates. During Joe Biden's vice presidency, Hunter sold him as the brand. No real services were provided other than access to the Biden network including Joe Biden himself. Excuse me? No, no real services were provided. I seem to recall Joe Biden bragging that he went to Ukraine and got a prosecutor fired. I seem to recall testimony that Hunter Biden was told to call DC and get help because the prosecutor was shaking down the company. And then Joe Biden coincidentally shows up and gets rid of the prosecutor. Services were rendered. On 2-14-14, Russian oligarch Yelena Baterina wired $3.5 million to a shell company associated with Hunter Biden and Devin Archer. About $1 million was transferred to Archer, and the remainder was used to, to initially fund a new company account, which Archer and Biden used to receive other foreign wires. We also have reporting that Hunter and Joe shared emails, shared phone numbers. I wonder what that's all about. In spring 2014, a Ukrainian oligarch placed Archer and Biden on the Burisma board of directors and granted to pay each of them $1 million per year, then Vice President Joe Biden visited Ukraine soon after. After they joined, Hunter claimed credit for this visit to show value. On 4-22-14, Kazakhstani oligarch Kenes Rakishev wired the exact price of Biden's sports car to a bank account used by Archer and Biden. The next day, a payment was made to purchase the sports car. After receiving the sports car payment, Archer and Biden then arranged for Burisma executives to visit Kazakhstan to evaluate a three-way deal among Burisma, a Chinese state-owned company and the government of Kazakhstan. Hunter brought in millions of dollars from Yelena Batarina, Burisma, and Kenneth Rekeshev. Vice President Biden had dinner with them in the spring of 2014 and 15 in D.C. This is clear corruption that enriched the Biden family. Oh, we know. We know. But the American people don't care. Those of us that do and call it out are smeared, lied about in the media, and many are facing criminal prosecution. That's the real point. You see, many of the J6ers, bumbling dotards, confused. Many of them, violent rioters who tried smashing their way into a building. It's horrible. And many of them, political individual, individuals who attended a rally because they see what's happening in this country and they're upset about it. And that's who they're going after. Anyone who poses a threat to their corruption. This is abject evil happening right before our eyes. And how do we win? Well, Donald Trump needs to win in 2024, and it's possible. And anybody who tells you he can't win is lying. I am sick of this. People saying, oh, he can't win. The deep state won't let him. You really think they're that powerful? Then why did Donald Trump win in 2016? Yeah, because they're not that powerful. They're powerful. They're evil. They'll lie, cheat, and steal. But righteousness is always more powerful than evil, just less willing to cheat. That's the reality. Goodness overpowers evil. Fact, evil cheats to fight back. And that's what we're seeing. Now, Donald Trump is far from a saint or a savior, but he's at least going to get revenge. And I'll take it. And I suppose the good news here is, and I'm not bringing up this article to rag on Ron DeSantis but Donald Trump is actually doing really well among women. Isn't that crazy? Trump has more support among female voters than DeSantis does in Iowa, Arizona, and New Hampshire. In Iowa, among men, DeSantis has the edge. But for the most part, Trump has the edge across the board. Again, not bringing this up to, to, to bring DeSantis into it, but he is second in place. The primary results matter because primary results are windows into general election results and you can calculate what you can expect in terms of turnout. And right now the polls are showing that Trump is rivaling or beating Joe Biden. Hence, the corruption. The only way the Democrats are going to win this one is by locking up and hobbling their political opponent. In 2020 they had COVID, universal mail-in voting, mass ballot harvesting, etc. They don't have that this time around. What do they have? They have the DOJ. Now that they're in politics, now that they're in government, instead of state-level They go federal. It is believed Donald Trump will be indicted on state charges in Georgia sometime next week. We saw the report from CNN. The grand jury in D.C. has reconvened. They may be going after Giuliani and Jeffrey Clark and Sidney Powell and many others. People who have been on this show. How long after that do they say the media personalities who supported them are are not protected by the First Amendment because they're advocating for crimes? right? That's what they'll claim. And then you will see the crackdown come 2024. Will this country survive? Now, some may say, of course it will. There's no way the U.S. falls apart. But the question is, what survives? Is it going to be a corrupt deep state, deep state apparatus where elections are fake and corruption runs supreme? That seems to be where where we're at right now. The fact that Donald Trump won in 2016 proves it's not absolute. And Donald Trump absolutely can win in 2024. That's why they're cheating. If it was hopeless, the cheating would not be necessary. If we were guaranteed to lose, they wouldn't need to do any of this stuff. You wouldn't even hear about it in the media. But the reality is that Trump can win. And that's why they're panicking and desperate. Because if Trump gets in, then revenge is on. Am I confident Donald Trump is going to do everything right? Of course, not quite the opposite. I'm actually worried he's not going to. There's only one thing I'm counting on with Donald Trump's election, that he fires people, that he just says, shut your mouth, you're fired. He could have fired Comey. He didn't want to because, you know, he didn't want to look bad, could have fired Fauci. Ah, but the left would have gotten so mad. And now look what they've done to him. If Donald Trump doesn't do it, I'd be surprised, you know, fire people. Ron DeSantis says he's going to start firing deep state people. Perhaps he will. All I can say is the probability lies with Donald Trump doing it over anybody else. In the meantime, you got to tell people you got to share these stories with them. And, you know, the way I always approach it is I don't go to people and say, here's why you should vote for Donald Trump. I go to people and I would say, like, if we're talking politics, mind you, you hear about what the Bidens did. And then I'll tell them, like, guys, if you don't want Trump, let's agree there. How about we both agree no Trump, no Biden, and we find someone who's not crooked and corrupt? Right. Tell me why you think the crooked Biden family should be the ones to take the nomination. Maybe that's why they'll swap them out and they'll bring in Gavin Newsom because they'll make it a lot harder. Now You can point to the failures of California state, but you're not going to be able to call out the abject corruption and evil of the Biden family. Maybe that's why they're going to swap him out, but we'll see. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. You may be asking yourselves why is the deep state pulling out all the stops, dropping any facade to go after Donald Trump in the most corrupt and plainly visible way? It's because of this, my friends. And you all can see it. Donald Trump is back, baby. Oh, man, I laughed my ass off when I saw this story. Christie's eating right now. Overweight Trump rips rival Chris at wild rally announcing proposed ban on taxpayer funded gender transition surgeries for veterans. Okay, let's slow down there a minute and break this down. Donald Trump begins roasting his rivals. Masterfully done. There is not a rational human adult who doesn't laugh when they hear how Donald Trump handles insulting his current political rivals. And this is what they genuinely fear. Now, of course, I'm being somewhat facetious when I'm talking about the deep state going after Donald Trump in the most uh, uh, visible way possible. They're literally doing it, but it's because, you know, Donald Trump probably will end the wars. So he will probably fire them. But the reason why they need an edge is because of this. This is Trump's ability. This is his hit. This is Trump's arena. He goes on stage. He is a roast master. And when he roasts his political rivals, they're helpless. You think I'm kidding? I'm not kidding. Let me show you this. This is really, really funny. I want to read. I want to read the, uh, the quote here. So it, it was it, here's what they say it was a wet and steamy day in New Hampshire and the air conditioning in Wyndham High School's gymnasium packed with hundreds of people struggled to keep up. <clears throat> Trump took the stage complaining that a fan had disturbed his famous mane of yellow hair. After he stuck largely to his prepared speech for the first half an hour or so before going off, running, uh, running his rule over the field of Republican candidates, including Ron sanctimonious. He's rapidly being caught by Ramaswamy, who's good. Christie, he's eating right now. He can't be bothered. <laughs> Someone in the crowd shouted fat pig, allowing Trump to use one of his favorite rhetorical techniques, the repetitive anti-insult insult. I love the anti-insult insult. It is masterfully done. He says, sir, sir, please do not call him a fat pig. That's very disrespectful. Don't call him. See, I'm trying to be nice. Don't call him a fat pig. You can't do that. <laughs> oh, I, Trump is a, is a comedic genius.
1: He's an
0: entertainer. He's a comedian. Said it before. I'll say it again. You go see Trump speak. You are laughing the whole time. Laughing or clapping and cheering. This dude knows how to get it done. He does this thing where he's like, you know, they call him a fat pig, but uh, we don't call him that. It's mean. We're nice. (laughs) He literally calls the guy a fat pig, but says, don't call him a fat pig. That's the game. And notice this. He called Ramaswamy good. We like Vivek. Vivek knows how to handle this. He's doing it masterfully. Vivek has another area in politics and in speaking and public presentation that he's masterfully performing at. Ramaswamy is targeting these issues we all care about. He's doing it with intelligence, with confidence, with strength behind his words. And he's defending Donald Trump at the same time. And he's saying, look, we need we need something new. He is doing everything that Ron DeSantis should have done. Now, I must admit, de is the stupidest insult. OK, whatever. I don't know. I guess it's working. Far be it from me to criticize the master. But um, de swamp this, I thought, was way better as an insult. I am not calling him a swamp monster. I'm saying it's a better insult and Donald Trump should have uh, uh, should have used it. Look at this rally. He's getting. He gets all these people to come out. But the policy meet came with his plan for veterans. In addition, I will make it a personal mission to totally eradicate veterans homelessness, he said. I mean, you have a situation in America. It's a scandal. It's a disgrace what's happening now. He compared the treatment of refugees under Biden with the treatment of veterans. On day one, I will sign an executive order to cut off Joe Biden's massive spigot of funding for the shelter and transport of illegal aliens, which our country cannot handle. And I will redirect that money to provide shelter and treatment for homeless American veterans. They'll be treated properly. His appearance comes as a slew of polls uh, show he has a tight grip on the primary race. Take a look at this. We got a new poll here and you've got Donald Trump at 55 percent. What's the uh, who, who who released this? This is um, coefficient. Ron DeSantis at 13. Chris Christie at five. Ramaswamy at four. I'm not buying the Ramaswamy at four. Too many polls have Ramaswamy climbing and reaching third place. In the prediction markets Ramaswamy is bouncing a little bit in second place, then falling back. Ron DeSantis is holding decently in second place. But I don't think any of this matters. I don't know what the point of a primary is when you know for a fact Trump already won. Right. I, you know, whatever, I guess. Well, no, I should put it this way. It's a great audition right now for VP. And look at this. Donald Trump calls Chris Christie. Okay, he didn't call him a fat pig, but he may as well have called him a fat pig. Nah, you're not going to come to me. No, Timmy said, don't call him a fat pig. We know what he's doing. It's Trump's masterfully done anti insult insult says, you know, they say he smells bad. I don't say that. It's me. You don't say it. But everyone claims that's what he does. Beautifully done. I love that. I love the Donald Trump deflection of this thing happened. It didn't. Well, that's what I was told. People are like, he doesn't say that. He never, a couple times. I don't know. It's just funny. It's funny. But take a look at this. He, he rags on DeSantis. He rags on Christie. He rags on everybody else. He defends Vivek. Vivek as a VP. Maybe, maybe. I can't think of a better VP candidate, to be completely honest. Seriously, who do you guys have in mind? We for a while said if he chose Ron DeSantis, it's a slam dunk. Yeah, it could have been. But Ron DeSantis is too arrogant. Sorry, man. DeSantis could have been the VP. This, this massively popular governor with this great track record, young, tactful. Instead, he says, I'm going to run against Trump, critical of Trump, attacking Trump from the right. And it failed. And now people are, you know, I think even Trump was saying this. He should have waited till 2028, but he couldn't have. He's going to be termed out as governor. And what's his position going to be? Just some guy who was here a couple of years ago. That's an eternity in politics. Now is his only opportunity. You know what he should have done? Ron DeSantis should have announced his intent to run to be Donald Trump's VP. And I mean it. It's a nonsensical statement, sort of. Like he doesn't actually need to do it. He just goes to Trump and say, like, hey, I want to be the VP. But he should have been like, I will not be seeking the presidency. I will be seeking the vice presidency for Donald Trump. Trump, I look forward to having a conversation with you. Trump would have been like, Ron's great. Look what he's done for Florida. Let's bring him in. Instead, they went to war. It's unfortunate. It shouldn't have happened. And, and and the crazy thing is, too, it's like the DeSantis supporters are, uh, you know, you can argue that Trump support, Trump's most ardent supporters are nasty, but it's like, I don't even know how many times I can say that Ron DeSantis is the best politician in the country right now and still have people whinging on Twitter at me about Ron DeSantis. It's sad, yo. It's sad. That's why I'm not even into DeSantis VP camp anymore. Now I'm thinking Ramaswamy. Ramaswamy knows how to handle this. They say 75% believe the indictments are a distraction from the Biden family corruption. That's obvious. An internal poll for his campaign from the, uh, obtained by the Daily Mail shows he has extended his lead over DeSantis in the national primary polling data. It found he leads 55 to 33 in the latest blow to the Florida governor. It also reveals why Trump rivals are unable to profit from the former president's mounting legal woes. The poll found that 52% of Republicans say they are more likely to vote for Trump since the indictment. Pollsters with coefficient asked 1,638 Republicans, blah, blah, blah. President Trump is dominating the Republican primary field as the attacks from Joe Biden's DOJ continue to backfire, said a delighted Trump campaign aide. The more voters see a weaponized, two-tiered system of justice, the more they rally around Trump. This is something I think Democrats need to learn and understand. When a candidate is attacked, support for them increases. That's it. When uh, when someone tries to assassinate a political leader, their popularity surges. It's like a trope. We get it. It generates sympathy. Depending on the reaction, it shows strength and sacrifice. And now you have Donald Trump being targeted by Joe Biden. Ain't nobody like Joe Biden in the first place. That's the problem. And only the cringest of leftist and hardcore neolibs are happy about the indictment. Seventy seven percent of Democrats. Sure, I get it. But twenty three percent of Democrats are like, nah. Who are those people? Those are the people who could potentially switch their position. Those are the people like that woman in Portland or Seattle. She got bashed in the face like I'm a Republican now. All it took was a homeless guy bashing her in the face and she switched her vote. Some negative impact to her. And then she realizes, fine, I'll take it. When people start paying attention to what's going on, their votes change. And this is where we're at. Going after Donald Trump, lying about him, trying to put him in prison is not convincing anybody of anything. Now there are tribalists who hate Trump and want to see him put in jail for no other reason than they hate him. That's it. But regular people don't want the conflict or the turmoil. Trump jokingly says, one more indictment and I'll win the presidency. I need one more. Jokingly, he may be it may may be true. His fundraising is skyrocketing. His approval rating is going up. In the primary, he's winning. Now, the question is, the Republican base may like this. Will the general? 52% of independent voters don't like the they reject the indictments. That's bad news for Democrats because they're on the losing side of this one. But the thing that's going to matter most is whether or not Republicans can build a ballot harvesting operation. And if they don't, then it's done. Democrats win. So we'll see. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out and I'll see you all then. Dave Portnoy has purchased back Barstool Sports in its entirety. He owns the whole thing. And this, my friends, is tremendous news. And I don't know what the stance of the Barstool guys uh, is on the whole culture war and stuff. I know Dave's rather anti-PC to a certain extent, but has also been somewhat, you know, uh, averse to many conservatives. I know he does not like Alex Stein. I can only say this to all of you, though. This is a massively positive cultural move that is happening right now, and I'll show you two big things. One, Ben Mintz is rehired. He got fired because he rapped. No kidding. The rap lyrics had a naughty word in it, and he rapped, so they fire him. But Dave wasn't in charge of the company. He sold it. Now that he buys it back, what's the first thing he does? He rehires Mincy. Honorable. Integrity, standing up for your friends, the people you know and trust. Mincy should have never been fired in the first place. But the I got a video from you. Dave walks up to these cards where it's like narc on your fellow employees if they're saying things that are naughty. And he's like, nope. And he tosses them out. Barstool Sports is massively influential. At the local casino, they get the big Barstool Sports sports book. They're getting rid of all that. And okay, so net negative to a certain degree, but more anti-woke cultural influence is a good thing. And so while I certainly don't agree with with Dave Portnoy on a lot of issues, he's not really a political guy. He's pushing back on this PC garbage. He defended then mints when they fired the guy and he never should have been fired. This is get woke, go broke. Because here's what happens. Barstool Sports gets sold to Penn Entertainment. And Penn struggles with licensing and regulations because Dave Portnoy is not woke enough. They were getting denied licensing and things like that. Penn said, we got to go woke. Okay, well, good luck, because guess what? I don't know the exact breakdown of how this plays out for Dave, but the company was sold for something like five hundred and fifty one million dollars to to Penn. Now, there were investors in Barstool already. The company has now reverted total ownership for nothing, for nothing to Dave Portnoy. Dude just made, look, I don't know how much Churnin. I think Churnin is the company that bought, Invest in it. They may have owned a, a large portion, but dude had to have just pulled off a $100 million deal because he's, these companies can't hang with it. Let's read this story. We got this. Dave Portnoy brings back disgraced employee Mincy, after his reacquisition of Barstool Sports. I just want to say, they claimed he said the N-word on camera. Dude, it was a rap lyric, okay? He was rapping. You don't call anybody a name. The only problem I have is that Mincy apologized. Mincy should have been like, dude, I get it. I was rapping. People don't like that I said it. I'm not going to apologize for rapping, okay, man? Like, you can't put out top 40 hits in R&B and rap and then try and Fire people for rapping along to your lyrics. That makes no sense. That's the only issue I have. But here's the video Dave Portnoy calls him up, brings him back in. I love this. I love this. Uh, And look, man, when Mincy got fired, there were people who were criticizing Dave, being like, How could you let this happen? He's like, Dude, I sold the company. But what did Dave do? He immediately hired Ben Mince to work for his watch company. And what happens once he reacquires the the uh, Barstool? Brings him back in. Take a look at this. Penn sells Barstool Sports back to Dave Portnoy to partner with ESPN. He said that they were having trouble with regulators and licensing. In its release, Penn said it sold 100% of Barstool to Portnoy in exchange for certain non-compete and other restrictive covenants and the right to receive 50% of the gross proceeds received by Dave Portnoy in any subsequent sale or other monetization event holy Penn bought barstool for 551 million dollars and they just gave it back to the dude bravo man bravo now look y'all can be critical of dave for a lot of reasons he's not a perfect dude but i can respect this tremendously take a look i want to i want to i want you to watch this clip this is what dave portnoy does when he walks into his business he says there will be no more anonymous narking on people at barstool sports check out this video it's 30 seconds
1: so the first thing I did when I bought back Barstool, I hired Mincy, And then these fucking cards that were at the reception desk make a difference. If you have concerns, suggestion, preventing illegal or unethical activity, please speak up. And you look at the back, it's like, if you want to anonymously narc on somebody, uh-uh-uh. No.
0: Look at this. It says Penn National. Let me try and get a clear shot. It's Penn National Gaming. If you, rep- if you prefer to remain anonymous, you can. Report online. Call toll-free. What is this? You do not have to give your name.
1: No, 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 no. You want to fucking narc on somebody here? We do it publicly on camera. No more bitches, no more fucking this, that. Make a difference. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. You (laughs) got a problem, you turn the cameras on, and you settle it for content. That's how we do it here now.
0: So So what these cards are for. You see, this is the woke corporation. This is the ESG. Make a difference. Rat on your fellow employees. So what? Two guys get into an argument, one guy narcs on the other guy, and the other guy gets fired. Preponderance of evidence they say. Yo, that's Soviet level garbage. Okay? Now I understand anonymous reporting can be important and good. My point is this. The intention of these cards by Penn Entertainment it was not to make a good workplace. It was to protect them legally from liability. So they could say, "Hey, we took every precaution so that we couldn't be complained against." What Dave is doing with how he's running his company influential, barstool sports, millions of followers, tens of millions of hits, probably more, is pushing back in the right direction. It may not be exactly what you want for conservatives. I'm sure many liberals and run-of-the-mill, you know, moderate types are like, good, man. There are a lot of conservatives that don't like Dave Portnoy's stance because he's more pro-choice. But you're not going to win every battle outright 100%. Sometimes you gain ground. This is gaining ground. This is Dave Portnoy being like, none of this weak, stupid, pathetic garbage. You got a problem. You speak up. Uh Uh-oh. I'm sure all the woke people are crying, but he's hiring back the guy who said the naughty word. Yeah. Pushing back on the encroachment of this cancel culture garbage fired because he rapped a lyric. Now, look, man, if Ben Mintz walked up to a group of people and started Cussing at him and dropping racial slurs, I'd be like, "Yo, not cool." There, there's a serious conversation there about whether or not you can continue your employment if you're going to walk up to people and be that kind of guy, right? Because you got to understand, you're a representative of this company. That's all true. I get all that. Context matters, though, and the context here is that the dude was just rapping a video, and they come after him. It's 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 just so stupid. My view is kind of like this. We've had people at TimCast who work here say naughty words and post naughty pictures. And I'm just like, you know, we have a limit. We have a line. But it's fairly relaxed. Somebody posts something that's spicy. You know, I say to them, I say, hey, that was a little spicy. And they go, should I take it down? like, if you want to, I don't know. Like, what am I going to do? You're allowed to have an opinion. I don't like. You know, if somebody worked here and started accosting and attacking and insulting people based on certain immutable characteristics, I'm going to be like, dude, nah. But you get a warning. I just be like, that's not okay. That's not how we do. And that's not the culture that we want to build. We want to build culture. Here's the culture I want to build. That scene from a Bronx tale that I told you about. That many of you probably seen the full movie. I didn't even see the full movie. I just, I saw somebody post the clip and I'm like, that is amazing. I got to tell you again, I'll make it quick. Loud bikers, loud commotion. Mob boss walks into a bar. Bartender says, these guys aren't dressed properly. They can't be in here. Bar guy, the, 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 the biker leader says, look, man, we're going to have a beer. Just relax and then be on our way. And the mob boss is like, spoken like a gentleman. Serve the men their beer. You know why that was awesome? Because he was saying, look, man, you're supposed to dress nice. But you were nice to me. You were respectful and you asked politely. You deserve a good beer. If you're a good dude, you deserve to be treated good. Well, treated well. Sorry about that, everybody. And then the bikers take the beers, shake them up, and spray it on the bartender, start laughing. And then the mob boss says, Okay, now you just need to leave. Even then, in that moment of physical attack, granted, kind of just spraying them down with beer, the mob boss still said, Please leave, gentlemen, it was still very nice. And then the biker tells him to screw off. So the mob boss walks over, locks the door, and says, now you just can't leave. That's being a man. You see, the point is two times he said, I will treat you with respect. I will give you that benefit of the doubt. And then when they crossed him, he says, now you've done and messed up. You attacked the bartender. That's violence. That's what I'm talking about. The kind of world we want to make is a world where we say you don't be a dick to people for no reason, because if someone worked here and was spitting and yelling at somebody saying racial slurs and insults, they're the biker in that situation, and that's when I walk up and say you need to leave. But when it's someone like Mincy rapping, I go and say what's the problem, and then people are yelling. He just said a naughty word. I'll bet you say a naughty word he Goes look, man, I'm sorry. I was just rapping lyrics. I didn't mean to bother anybody. I'd say spoken like a gentleman. Serve this man his beer. If you came out and started saying no, I can say whatever I want. And started cussing at people. I'd make, now you need to leave. That that's my view, that's what that's the world that I want to see. You can have your There's there's Chris barstool. Don't get me wrong, right? You know they they do what they do, but if the culture we're pushing back on is more masculine, if the if the culture that is that is is pushing back is more masculine, if we're pushing back on this weak, pathetic, cancel, whiny, baby culture, I don't care who's doing it. I'll take the victory. Shout out to to barstool. Congratulations to everybody. Glad to see Mincy got his job back. This is what I'm talking about. They they canceled. That race car driver, he gets his sponsors dropped because his dad said a naughty word in the 80s. Nah, we're done with this. So I'm looking forward to what Barstool puts out. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up tonight at 8 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcast IRL. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. Ladies and gentlemen, we got them. This is good news. You may have seen the story about the 7-Eleven employees who stopped and beat a man who was robbing them. Well, the reporting was that these guys, the, the employees were facing a criminal investigation. We are now hearing that the criminal himself has been arrested and a civil rights lawyer is warning the police not to go after the workers. Now, of course, if the story was simply that workers began mercilessly beating a thief, many people are going to be like, nah, maybe you shouldn't have beat him so hard. And others might say on the left, they're going to be like, he was just stealing cigarettes. You don't got to hurt the guy. But the guy threatened to kill these people. So what do you do? I will never blame the victims and force them to cower and hide when someone threatens them with deadly force. They did what they had to do to defend themselves. And the guy got caught. Here's the story. Serial cigarette thief who was beaten up by Sikh 7-Eleven staff in botched robbery is finally arrested. They say Tyrone Frazier, 42, was arrested by officers after a video of himself attempting to steal cigarettes from a 7-Eleven in Stockton, California went viral. The workers are seen smacking Fraser with a stick after he entered the store with a garbage can and began filling it with tobacco products from behind the counter. The attempted theft was the third time in two days the man had targeted the store. On a previous occasion, he tried to intimidate staff by claiming it a handgun. Despite widespread praise for the workers for defending the business, Stockton Police Department launched an assault probe for which has now been slammed by a prominent civil rights lawyer. Speaking to Fox News, attorney Leo Terrell told the network that authorities should not be looking to prosecute the clerks. Who is at fault is very simply the criminal. Look at how relaxed he is. That is the Democratic laws that are in California where the criminal is the victim. Because you know the system is racist, the DA should have that criminal in jail right now because he did it not just once but twice. If there is any focus on these shop owners who are trying to protect their property, no way, they should not be charged with criminal crime. That's an interesting quote. I'm not sure this guy's first language is English. If there is some type of civil suit, that criminal will have zero chance of prevailing. 7-Eleven should back up these shop owners. Here, here. 7-Eleven should fund the legal defense of their employees. Their lives are threatened on more than one occasion. They defend themselves. They defend their property. What else could someone do when facing threats of death? Now, in Texas, you're allowed to use force to defend property. I'm a little torn on that one, to be completely honest. You know, I understand there's a limit on defending property. I know a lot of people in the media are commenting, like, no, you should be able to defend any property. Well, hold on. If I'm on a big swath of land that's 10,000 acres and there is a dude walking on that land, 10,000 acres, should you be able to defend that property? Well, hold on. What does that mean? You see, this is my point. If a person accidentally trespasses, they should be warned, dude, you're trespassing. Turn around and leave right now. If the person then becomes threatening, and I've right to defend yourself and your property. Now we're talking about physically removable property, right? Defending the property they're standing on versus a property like a device depends on the 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 value, in my opinion. I know, I know not everybody would agree. In Texas, they're going to say, "I don't care if it's a paperclip." I do. If someone's snatching a paperclip, I don't think that's a hell worthy trespass. And they grab a paperclip and they run off. I'd be like, okay, "Whatever." But if they're trying to take from you something you absolutely need to live like they destroy your furnace or something, and you're like, now my family's going to freeze to death. Yeah, that's different. I don't know where that line is. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on, on these things. But basically, if the theft or destruction of property or the seizure of property would threaten your life in some way, in some way, in any way, then I believe you've right to defend it. So let's say you're growing crops and someone comes in destroying those crops. You have right to defend it. Why? That's food you need to eat. Are you immediately going to die? No, not if you don't have the food, but you could die later on. That's why I'm not saying lethal force in Texas I think you're allowed to use lethal force to defend property. It's kind of crazy in 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 certain jurisdictions West Virginia is very lax on this too like in West Virginia, if someone's trespassing on your land, you can use a certain amount of force. you know I don't think you can try to kill somebody, but you can like you can brandish a weapon and things like that and uh, but they tell you to be careful like we, we want to be reasonable people. These criminals are not reasonable, and these Democrat laws and these Democrat-run cities are not reasonable. Let me show you this. Here's a video. I talked about it earlier. This woman's bike gets stolen in San Diego in broad daylight. Nobody helps her as she cries for help. What innocent bystander is going to get involved with the day's prosecution? Let me let me let me play this for you. You can hear for yourself. guy just casually stealing her
1: bike.
0: Now I'm going to stop right there and just say, to be completely honest, I don't even know that that bike belonged to that lady. For all we know, she was stealing the bike and he was stealing it back. That's how crazy things are in these cities. San Diego, of course, not the worst, but we're seeing more and more of this. I think it's fair to point out with the rise of Cameras, the ubiquity of phone cameras, we're gonna see a lot more videos we don't normally see. That's true. But we also do know that petty crime, violence, theft, these things are rising in these cities. San Diego, again, not the worst offender. They've actually been fairly decent on a lot of these on these laws. But we're seeing more and more of this, especially in places like San Diego, Stockton, Sacramento. I mean, let's just mention California ain't doing too well. You've got similar things happening up in Seattle. A woman got bashed in the face with a water bottle. She's like, I'm voting Republican now. And you know what I'm reminded of? I see a lot of people responding to this story saying, too bad you voted for it. And I'm like, it reminds me of this quote. Let me read it for you. The streets are extended gutters and the gutters are full of blood. And when the drains finally scab over, all the vermin will drown. The accumulated filth of all their sex and murder will foam up about their waists, and all the whores and politicians will look up and shout, save us. And I'll look down and whisper, no. Amazing. It's a quote from the character Rorschach. Alan Moore, who wrote that quote, did not intend for anyone to look up to that individual. He is a, you know, filthy, morally absolutist individual. But that statement, that quote, that means something, whether Alan Moore realized it or not. They will look up and shout, save us. And I look down and whisper, no. I love the Watchmen movie, by the way. I think the movie's fantastic. Not everybody liked it, but uh, I thought it was masterfully done. One of my favorite movies. And I love that opening sequence with Rorschach explaining what's going on. And I love that uh, Rorschach, the character, gets arrested. He gets caught. He's a vigilante, right? And he's got this shrink and he calls the guy a fat. Uh, uh, he, he says you're fat with liberal sensibilities. And I'm just like, you see, look, <laughs> I'm not going to advocate for anybody to be like Rorschach, but there is a certain catharsis in what he said. These people in these cities keep giving the benefit of the doubt to the criminals, keep protecting the criminals, blaming the victims. And then when you have false accusations, they say, why are you blaming the victims? Dude, no one trusts you, no one believes you, and your policies are destroying this city. I'm not going to sit here and blame the victims, and I'm not going to call for over criminalization and uh, punitive measures, but we got to have law and order. If someone breaks the law on camera, you know what you say to a guy who threatens people with death and they defend themselves? You walk in and the guy in the ground saying, oh, they're hitting me. And you'd be like, you threatened to kill them, dude. <laughs> Cry about it more. You're getting locked up. Now, let's 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 try this scenario. This guy is walking down the street with his own cigarettes. They're his. And two Sikhs walk up with a stick and grab him and start mercilessly beating him. And the guy's like, stop, help. You know what should happen? People should help him. And the guys beating him should be arrested. But that's not what happened. What happened is this guy is terrorized his business, threatening to shoot them. He pulled out some kind of he's like, whoa, 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 he pulls out some kind of weapon, looks like a knife. And so they grab him and start hitting him. What are they supposed to do? Wait and hope he doesn't hurt them. I mentioned it in this other video when you got there's a guy behind the counter and a dude walks over with a gun and he starts stealing from the register and then he looks over and just shoots the guy for no reason. I'm not going to make the victims go through that. The moment you jump jump the counter, you have said you have threatened someone with death. That's it. You jump the counter and you're making an attack on them. That is a death threat, and you forfeit your life in that situation. Now, I don't want anybody to die. I don't want the person committing the crime to die. I want them to be held accountable. I want them to be put placed in front of a jury of their peers. I want the justice system to say these people are bad, and we will hold them accountable. But if you threaten to kill someone, that victim of your threats has a right to protect themselves. But we'll see. We'll see. They arrested the guy. All right. That's good news. We'll see if they go after the victims. They might. I think they're evil, but I'll leave it there. Next segment is coming up. uh, Where are we at here? It'll be at 6 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out and I'll see you all then.